There we go. There we go. All right. Here we go, people. Hello, inventors and entrepreneurs. My name is Andrew Krauss, and I'm one of the co-founders here at Inventor Groups of America, or IGA, whatever the heck you want to call it. Um, type your name into the chat if you're new here. The chat button's down at the bottom on the cell phone. I don't know where the hell it is, but you can find it. And just write, I'm new. And also, for everyone else, it'd be great to hear from you. Type in what state or country you're from or whatever else you want to type that's appropriate, of course. So go on over now to the chat and let us know. So IGA was founded by Stephen Key and myself to teach individuals how to best commercialize their product ideas, as well as strengthen and support inventor groups around the nation. We have speakers of all different types, we, venturing, patent attorneys, um, prototypers, licensing, just from all different perspectives, not just Stephen and my perspective or a perspective of, of a other company InventRight, but perspectives from all different people. So we have a directory of local and regional inventor groups on our website. If you're located near one, we highly encourage you one to join. Um, they're falling by the wayside. Inventor groups really aren't, uh, it's kind of hard to find them these days. So we're trying to help out the groups that do still exist. Um, just so you know, everything we do here at IGA is completely free. Yes, I said free. Nice word, huh? Um, please do not disclose anything that is confidential or is already publicly available. This meeting is being recorded. It will be harnessed on our website and our YouTube channel soon. If you have any questions for us, please type them into the chat as they come to you. As many as you know, Stephen Key and myself also run InventRight, where we coach inventors to license their products. All the speakers today have been through the InventRight program and have licensed products. So let's get into it and introduce our panel of experts. So first, we have Ryan Bricker. He's a former InventRight member and designer of the hugely successful Whiskey Wedge, as well as his cigar glass. He's an amazing inventor. And then next up on our panel, we have Martin Lombardini, an InventRight coach who invents toys and safety slash military products. That's an interesting combination. Martin recently spoke as a technology showcase speaker at the Aerospace Tech Week Americas conference, which is really cool. Dana Knowles is the inventor of the Shower Caddy and InventRight's director of inventor relations. Dana loves the licensing process and is fearless about reaching out to companies. Brad Cones is our last panelist. He's an InventRight coach working in the area of toys, games, and novelty. He recently licensed a game called Formworm. He has coached countless inventors through the product licensing process. So let's embark on a journey with our esteemed panel as they delve into their firsthand experiences and unique path to success. We will uncover the mindset for pivotal achievement, the concrete weekly tasks that drive progress, and explore the common stumbling blocks faced by inventors. We'll also gain unparalleled insights, yes, unparalleled, I said that, into how they navigated these challenges to bring their products to market and distinguish themselves in a competitive landscape. So welcome everybody. So Thank why don't you. we why don't we go around the room? Dana, say hi. She got oh, muted. Did, you need me to unmute yourself? Okay. Oh. Don't don't unmute yourself because then we'll keep you. There you go. Maybe there you Sorry go. about that. I muted myself by mistake, realizing I couldn't get so what was the question? That's okay. What welcome. What was the question? <laughs> I I was just saying welcome. Oh, Say thank hi. you. Welcome. Hi, everybody. I see a lot of familiar faces here. Some people I just talked to the other day, too. Cool. Wonderful. Uh, Ryan, welcome. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's so great to be with my inventing brethren. 
Yeah. We asked Ryan to refrain from drinking whiskey during this during this seminar <laughs> since he has his whiskey <laughs> wedge. Really bad joke that I already told with everybody before we got on. Um, but it's really, really cool product. And then Martin, how you doing, Martin? Great, great. Thanks so much for inviting me, and uh, thanks for everyone coming out here and uh, listening to this. Should be fun. Martin's one of our one of our coaches. Extensive business background. We're really lucky to have him as a coach. He's an amazing dude. And then uh, last on our panel is Brad. Last but definitely not least, he's counseled countless inventors throughout the years at InventRight to license their products. Brad, how you doing, man? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Glad to be here and. I see some familiar faces. I, I just did the uh, open office hours webinar and I see some people that are joining on this one as well. So, oh, okay. That's cool. That's cool. All right. So I have some questions for our panel for these four speakers. I wonder if I should, do you guys think we should stay as a group or do you think I should, I think we should maybe highlight these speakers. That would probably be nice. Um, so let, let's do that and spotlight everybody here. We got Brad and we got and we got Ryan. And then I guess I'll spotlight myself here. Um, there we go. Okay. All right. So I've got some questions. This first one's kind of a doozy. It's pretty long. And some of these questions everybody will answer, some will answer. And you guys, please, especially when they're answering these questions, if it prompts you to think about another question, please type it into the chat. We may answer it at you know right after or probably more at the end but we're just going to get going get your kind of minds thinking about these things that they're saying but please type your questions in the chat we want to get some of your questions as well okay um so like i said this first one's kind of a doozy um as far as it being long what mindset did you have before you really delved into inventing or maybe you, when you first started and then when did you feel like you changed to being a pro or being comfortable with the process? Like what, what changed in your mind? When did you think that change happened? And what should the audience know and how do they get themselves there? So kind of like when you went from the transition to going, I don't know what I'm doing or thinking, know what you're doing and realizing you didn't um, to like, I got this now. I, I understand the process. So um, why don't we start? Why don't we start with Martin? He's at the center of the screen for me. Why don't we start with Martin? All right, great. Yeah, I think that's that's a great question. And it's a big one, you know, that's kind of a doozy because I think as an inventor, especially for me, you know, there's a lot of emotion involved, uh, you know, in that situation. You're, uh, you know, I came from a completely different industry and uh, got started in this. Uh, you know, thank God I found InventRight to, to train me on the basics and how to get it done. But I think that to answer that question, what turned me from really feeling more like a professional and having a better idea of what was going on? I really think it's two main factors. Um, reaching out to over 100 companies, hmm. I think that you learn a lot. Um, you not just learn a lot about reaching out, but you learn a lot about your product based on the feedback you get um, and all the other information that comes along with that. Uh, the other part, I think, that is a key factor in being a professional inventor is when you have your second idea when you really realize it's not just one idea it's more than one idea and you start to utilize the things that you've learned um, from your first idea morphing into the second and i think that is a huge learning curve uh key moment in an inventor's life and at least it was for me so that's how i would probably answer that question 
That's a great answer. Um, Ryan, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I think the first part of that question was important for me is I always thought inventing meant, and I always had ideas in my head, but I thought inventing meant you had to go get expensive patents and you had to take it to market and show up on Shark Tank and you needed hundreds of thousands of dollars behind you. And and so I never, <clears throat> that kept me from ever like pursuing any idea. And it wasn't until I read, actually it was four hour work week when it mentioned Stephen Key and licensing. I never heard of licensing. And so the whole idea of like, wait a minute, I can actually sell just an idea or someone can use my idea. Uh, like that light bulb just kind of went off in my head and that opened, that just opened the gates for me. I was like, wait a minute, that, that's a totally different ball game. I've got ideas. I, I've got ideas. And so it's like, I just went to work uh, with that knowledge and saying, hey, I can just produce ideas. I don't have to worry about like all the things of going to market. And so that was a first step in going pro, just knowing that it was possible and then really getting some reading Stephen Key's book, One Simple Idea, I got more education, went to invent right, really understood the whole process. And then, I mean, I'd say I went pro early on when I signed my first deal, but I think it's, I think maybe I got a little lucky there, but um, it was all the other ideas and actually like finding the right people to talk to and getting into that person, getting all the no's. I think after all of the no. I think finally being okay with hearing no, maybe, I don't know, 50, 100 times, then I'm like, okay. And, and, and then it doesn't even bother me. So I think that's when, when you turn that corner, when you can just take a no and like, come on, let's swing about again. I think that's kind of the next phase, which uh, you'll all get to, hopefully. Now, Ryan, in that vein, you know, a lot of people wouldn't have gotten there. They wouldn't have received 100 no's. They would have given up much sooner. Why didn't you? Some of it is at least my style of inventing and what I like about licensing, there's a low cost of entry. Like I have a design background in architecture, so I can design it myself and visualize it and 3D model it and stuff. So I don't, it doesn't cost me any money to kind of create an idea. And so for me, it's like, why not swing that bat? It doesn't, I'm not mortgaging my house on some crazy idea. And so, um, that allowed me like it doesn't really bother me it's, and at least in my head I was like I know I got 10 more ideas coming if this one's not the right one you know the next one's coming so yeah very pro attitude uh Dana what about you when did you turn the corner from feeling like I, I can do this and and how and how did you feel about it before what were your what were some of your thought processes before I can do this or even starting the licensing process that were might have might have been incorrect well i was a lot like ryan i didn't even know what licensing was and what shocked me is i was a member of my inventors club for you know 12 years before i even found out what licensing was and oh and my I, god i know i know it blows my mind and 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 well for me you know for for many many years i just you know i listened to everybody who wasn't where i wanted to be and i, I it, it dawned on me one day like like this light bulb moment of why this is after when I when I read Stephen's book on simple idea I thought why am I listening to the people who have never done what I want to do I need to follow the people who have done where you know if if you want what we have you'll do what we do and even I remember 
you know, talking to you the very first time, Andrew, um, about InventRight. And I was so like, I've been ripped off so many times by so many people. And, and I thought, you know what, you're the last house on the block for me. InventRight was the last house on the block. If I couldn't make something happen, I'm done. I quit. Like, and then, so I came in with an open mind, this humbleness about myself that I don't know what I'm doing. Please guide me. And, and I still didn't know, I still felt like I was very, um, I didn't have a lot of self-confidence. I didn't know if I could do this, but I knew that I, if I put the work in, that the chances were a lot better than if I kept doing what I was doing. And, um, and Ryan, you talked about the nose and, um, I remember wanting to quit after like the 20th. No, this is too hard. I don't want to do it. Rejection sucks. You know, and um, Paul Sorensen was my coach. And man, thank goodness that I had somebody to say, he said, you just go get some more no's, Dana. There's a yes in there. And I had, I think, you know, when I had a couple people interested in my product idea and I got on the phone with them. And when I got off the phone, I sounded professional. I sounded like I knew what I was doing. At that point, even though I didn't have a licensing deal yet, but at that point, something clicked in my head that said, I know what I'm doing now. I know how to talk to these people. Wait, at what point? What? What was it? The point where I had I the first company was interested and they wanted mm. to get on the phone. And I, I was so nervous. And I got on the phone with them. And when I got off the phone and the conversation was five minutes, I got off the phone and I thought, damn, I sounded good. Shit. <laughs> Maybe I do know what I'm talking about. And my whole mindset changed at that point. But so thank goodness that I didn't quit at the first five nose, 10 nose, 15 nose. Um, and I know I reached out to 50, I reached out to over 80 companies, 23 ghosted me completely, nothing, 52 no's, three maybes, and then no's, and then um, number 53 said yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing when it became real for you. Yeah. You know, that's what I hear, kind of a consistent theme here. There's a point at which it became real. Mm -hmm. You're a little skeptical, maybe, but you didn't know about it. You didn't know licensing existed. You didn't know that you could do that. Well, it, it made sense to me, like everything I read and everything I heard made sense to me, but I had been in that mindset before that that people, what people were saying to me made sense to me before. And then I found out it wasn't the right thing to do. So mm. I was dirty, you know, of course I don't, you know, I, it was new to me. I didn't know. Um, but you promised what you promised. We're going to guide and, and mentor, and we're going to make sure you do everything in the right order, the right way and not make any mistakes. And we're going to be here the whole way. And I thought, well, if that's what you can, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I wasn't scared to do the work. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank yeah. you, Dana. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Brad, what was your, what's your story? Sure. Well, I feel like a lot of people might resonate with this where you had an idea and, you know, you didn't do anything with it. And all of a sudden you see it on TV or you see it on store shelf and you're just like, oh, that was my idea. <laughs> well, see, I mean, that happened to me numerous times, but I didn't know what to do. So I, I just kind of chalked it up as all right well you know they obviously knew what they were doing and they they had it they got it done and like ryan said it wasn't until i read four hour work week by tim Ferriss i found out about event right found out about licensing and i thought oh wow this is exactly what i need to do uh you don't have to invest a whole lot of resources and capital you can basically pitch ideas and and generate some royalties so that's when the light bulb turned on for me since I already saw some ideas that I thought of hmm. hit the market, I, I knew in my mind that I had what it took and I just needed to get out there and do it. And then when I got interest from the first company, I was like, all right, like yeah. this is it. I'm, I'm staying in here. 
when it became real. Yep. Nice, nice. Uh, okay, guys, thank you for sharing that. Next question is, um, wait, everybody's inventors are obsessed about patents, right? We all know that. And then uh, at, at InventRight, we kind of break them of that. Um, we always say it's the benefit of your product. It's not a patent or a prototype that you're selling. But it doesn't mean it's not important in one respect or another. It depends on the project. So, Ryan, why don't we start with you? What are your feelings about patents and protection? I, I know it can vary by product, too, and it can vary by your personal experience as well. It, it's different for everybody. Yeah, I mean, I definitely learned from InventRight and kind of follow that mantra that I'm a, a provisional patent guy when it's a company I don't know with uh, or know about or know personally. Um, but I've only gone down the full patent route early on on a couple times. Um, for me, it's really about relationship. I mean, and, and like if you can get a chance to really know these people and know who they're about, if you're targeting some specific companies or brands and kind of feeling them out. And but I've I've had no problems. I've only not having patents. I've only had one or two issues where I felt like they were inspired by what I did on something they came out with. But um, I really follow kind of the, the invent right method for, because for me, I'm coming out with so many ideas. There's no way I can't afford to file a full patent on every idea. That would be kind of silly. Um, so I, I really like just doing the provisional route and, and using that to kind of create um, at least the idea of intellectual property and kind of adds another layer of professionalism to it, I think as well. And, and it's a, it's kind of a, it's not a heavy lift. And I think I, I may have wrote most of them myself and kind of learned that through InventRight too. It's not, it's not crazy difficult. You, you said, you said one thing that was very interesting earlier. You said it's, it's more about the relationships than the patent. I think for new inventors, it's so daunting to think that they could make a relationship with this big company, but it's not the big company. It's usually a person, right? Can you speak to yeah. that just for a minute or two? Yeah. I mean, even for me, I would say my big success with the Whiskey Wedge and Corksicle actually worked in reverse of maybe what you got. I didn't have an idea and I came to that. I actually built a relationship with the founder and just said, let me come up with ideas for you. I didn't have this idea already. And so I had an agreement beforehand, like, hey, I'm going to pitch you guys a bunch of ideas. If anything goes to market, we'll work out a royalty degree. And so I designed around their brand, around what they were already doing. And so that that might be a different way for people to approach it. If you have a connection or a real in with a company, instead of just the idea you thought up in the shower is like, think about their brand, what they don't have, what's that next product, and actually design for a brand or for a category. Um but that helped me on the IP side. I mean, I kind of had an agreement up front with them. Uh, in that sense, I didn't even need to go get IP because I kind of have an agreement to just be pumping out ideas for them. Now, if they weren't interested, you would show that same idea to a bunch of other companies, right? Because you don't want to just pitch and one I product have, to one company. I've done that over and over and over again. Okay, yeah. cool, cool. Uh, Martin, uh, what's your thought about protections and patents? Uh, you know, I like a lot of what Ryan was saying, and I agree with a lot of what he was saying. Um, number one, you know, uh, the provisional patent provides, uh, you know, the perceived ownership, which I think is important. Um, 
also, you know, it's a situation where I think everyone has to really realize what a provisional patent is giving you. It's just a placeholder and it's only good for 12 months. And, you know, I talk to students about this all the time. You know, I can come up with an idea today on the 29th. Someone can come up with the same idea next week from now. Okay. And then I may not get a deal and then think, oh my gosh, I'm just going to refile it for another 12 months. In the meantime, this other guy, maybe he did get a deal or he filed a non-provisional. He may not get uh, uh, granted over the next three years. And I may still think I own this when I really have no ownership the moment he filed a non-provisional. And now you're really spinning your wheels. So I think there's a, a place for patents. I think you really have to understand what it's about. And a really big part of what Ryan was saying that I really agree with, and I could really speak a lot to, is about building relationships and how you're really going to make money and success in this business by building those relationships. And he talked about really good ways of doing it, and I do it in very similar ways. Um, aside from that, you know, I have a patent. I have a granted patent. Um, but, you know, here's something else I think is also very important for everyone to realize. I think what is the number of the statistics, something like 75 to 85 percent of all granted patents never make it to the market. However, 75 to 85 percent of all products that we use daily don't have patents, but yet there they are. Everyone's buying them. There's no patent there. Mm -hmm. So what is that telling you? What is the true value of a patent? Um, it's not about the patent. It's about perceived ownership on the front end. It's about, uh, you know, getting a placeholder. And then really about building the relationships and doing the things that you have to do in the, in the interim uh, yeah. to be successful. Cool. Thank you, Martin. Uh, Brad and Dana, you guys have any input on patents or did Ryan and Martin cover pretty, cover it pretty much? Yeah. I, I mean, I think patents are, are good. I think it gives you peace of mind, especially if you're a new inventor, it gives you that 12 months. Um, so you don't feel like paranoid that someone's going to try to rip you off. The more you're in this game, the less paranoid you're going to become. Mm -hmm. And it also depends mm -hmm. on what category you're in. If you're pitching novelty items, don't even worry about PPAs because most companies don't even care about that. So it really just depends on on the category. And yeah, if you have a, a big product and you you see it, you know, being a game changer, uh, you know, going with a full blown utility patent may be worthwhile. But but for me, I usually just stick with PPAs. But I do have a couple in mind where I'll probably go the distance uh with a potential company or myself but yeah ha haven't crossed that line yet um just I, I, when i talk to you know i talk to people on the phone all the time about our event right membership and i always we talk about provisional patent applications and i don't know where i got this at but i but i use this line all the time that a provisional patent application locks in your potential patent rights while you're trying to further develop your idea or finding a company to further develop your idea um and and that that I know that um, I filed my provisional patent application. I you know went through InventRight Smart IP. Uh, it walked me right through writing it and filing it, and I felt very comfortable with it. And I reached out to a bunch of companies, and I finally did license my idea. And I can remember my provisional patent application. Uh, we were in we were in negotiations. And we we know we were going forward, but my PPA was going to run out. And I called the company and we had talked previously about what what would we want? Would we want a design patent? Would we want a utility patent? Because I could have applied for both of them. And at the end of the day, when my PPA was going to run out, I called them and I said, you know, it's running out. And they said, well, you know what, Dana, we don't care about a patent if you don't care about a patent. And I said, well, if you don't care about a patent, I don't care about a patent. Let's roll. 
And, you know, and I've also learned that, you know, patents are not necessarily going to protect us from someone ripping us off. What it's going to do is give us the right to go sue them if they do. And who has the deep pockets to do that? In this wide world that we live in, the knockoffs are going to come. The cheaper ones are going to come. But naturally, like, like you said, Brad, it really depends on what industry you're in. If it's really, really unique and really something that you want to protect, then absolutely. But if it's just something simple, I'd say PPA. Nice. Thank you, guys. Great advice. Um, the next one's kind of random, and you guys, let's just do a free-for-all, just jump in. Uh, what is your best random tip about any part of the licensing process or licensing an idea? And you guys have just a random tip that yeah. you're, you're thinking about. Go ahead, Martin. I have one. I think and it, it goes kind of what Ryan was saying. I think there's so much content here. It's about building relationships, you know, and, and here's a way to do that. Every no is an opportunity for a relationship. Uh-huh. And, and I think part of, you know, kind of going back to what we were talking about the first question, which is, you know, how do you, where's that key point where you realize you're a professional? You know, I remember, you know, as inventors, we get no's, we get hundreds of no's, thousands of no's, depending on how many products you have and how many companies you're reaching out to. And hopefully you have thousands of no's because you're doing your work. But what you realize is after time is that what can I get out of these no's? And that occurred to me very quickly. I'm like, I need to build a relationship with every person that I'm getting a no with. And that is where things start to happen, you know, because you start to pitch the same company, multiple products. They have an idea of your creativity, even though it may not have worked. Well, guess what? You may have built a relationship with someone that you can do work for hire that you can start just like Ryan said, you know, I'm now developing products specifically for a company, giving them first right of refusal. They may even pay you a money to do that. And, you know, and now if it doesn't work, you can pitch it out to somebody else. So turning everything you do into building relationships is key to success, I think, in this business. And that would be one of the things I would say about that. Nice. Yeah, I can kind of piggyback on that. Well, I, my, my one bit of advice would say, um, don't try to do it alone. Because you know what, alone and not knowing, we're, we're going to make mistakes. And mistakes are costly and timely. And when you have someone that can guide you through it, and make sure you're not making any mistakes and making sure you're doing everything in the right order. Um, I want to share a story about a connection that it was a no that for, for my shower caddy. And I, I built a relationship because I learned that no's are not good no's are like you say thank you very much may i send you more ideas in the future absolutely well that we, we just started chatting back and forth i saw him at a trade show just a simple hey how you doing whatever and we've chatted back and forth on linkedin over the years and now he's working now he's changed jobs he's changed positions and he is working for one of the biggest housewares companies and guess who has a connection with them I do nice. because you follow them wherever they go. And you find that a lot in our industry that people do change jobs and go into different companies in the same industry. So when you have that relationship, it doesn't matter where they go, that relationship will go with them. So that's just, that just happened a couple of weeks ago that I looked at his LinkedIn profile and he is now the VP of something, something at this massive big company that I would love to get into, right? <laughs> but I think I'm already in because there he is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Ryan, Brad. Oh. All right. So one little tip I have, a lot of people come with me to me with ideas and maybe you guys, I think you go over this in the training, but like really 
when you think you have a great idea, like spend some time on Google looking for it and go to Google images and type in a lot of variations of what this thing can be. Because so even my ideas, nine times out of 10, that thing, the exact thing exists. And you don't want to spend crazy time and money on something that actually already exists. I have people, I'll find things in two seconds. Someone describes me the perfect idea. I'm like, here it is. And they're like, wait, no, it doesn't exist. I was like, I just found it. So that's one tip I always say. It don't let it discourage you. Like that just proved you had a great idea. So keep going. But. Yeah, you could always you could always mix it up. Go, well, I've been thinking about this for months. Now, you should have looked it up like the second you had the idea because then you could have made an adjustment, but you can still make an adjustment later, right? Yep, yep, yep totally. Yeah. yeah. Brad, you have a random, uh, expand on that or any other? Well, no, I think the ones that were mentioned are are the most crucial ones. I mean, I, I was not building relationships early on when I first started. I just thought, hey, a good idea is a good idea. But quite frankly, companies, they don't just take your idea. They, they want that relationship with the inventor too, because you're going to be negotiating. They want to make sure that you're not going to fly off the handle um, and ask mm -hmm. for 20% royalty. So really, I think relationships are key. They really are. And Martin, I think you mentioned it too. The more you're pitching to companies, they'll start asking you, hey, well, like, would you actually offer your services potentially for me? That happened to me. I was like, yeah, yeah that's a possibility. So uh, yeah, the, the more you pitch, the more you're going to learn. So just keep pitching, keep learning and growing. Mm. All right, so the, the next question is, everyone is busy these days. How do you prioritize inventing and stay on track week after week? Also, I'm sure you guys take breaks from time to time, but when you do, how do you get back on the horse? So basically, how do you prioritize and stay on track every week? Um, and some people were asking questions in the chat. How much time do you spend on it? So um, why don't we start with Dana? Dana, what's your answer to that? Um, I When I was in InventRight, um, I actually quit watching TV. Hmm. I just, you know, I realized how much TV I watched, you know, well, I mean, not, not that I'm like watching eight hours a day, but it was, you know, you come home from work and you do the dinner and you do the dishes and load of laundry. And then I would sit down in front of the TV for a couple hours. And I just thought, you know what, I'm going to spend 30 minutes a day on the computer researching or doing whatever, you know, whatever task I needed to do. And, and that would might turn into an hour. And so that's one thing that I stopped doing. I just stopped watching TV. Now, what I do, well, of course, I work for Invent, right? So um, I have a couple of different hats I wear over there. But um, even like today, I have this one task that I have to, you know, find companies, reach out to companies. And um, I blocked my schedule for the day. And just, I'm more, you know what? I turned off my phone, no phone turned off my computer volume. So everything that came through, I wasn't distracted, cleared my schedule completely and just had at it and focused. Cause I'm real, I think inventors um, by nature are a little attention deficit disorder people. <laughs> like we're a little distracted, like, you know, squirrel, squirrel, squirrel everywhere. And, um, and I clean off my desk. I get all the clutter off of it too, just to get clarity and, and a clean workspace. So those are just some of the little tricks that I use. Anybody else, uh, any tips on staying focused, taking breaks at times as well? 
I think, uh, you know, something I tell my students and something that I kind of picked up on my own from doing this. And, and once again, you know, the final draw of the process is just before getting a deal is reaching out, right? So we have to reach out and, you know, you spend all this time, you know, planting the seed, you know, fertilizing the ground, watering it, and all that is the IP, the marketing, the sell sheet, the design, the solving the problem. And now here you are and reaching out, you cannot stop. You cannot let it die on the vine because it will in short order if you stop. So what I say, what I learned is every single day, I don't care how busy you are, you have to have three points of contact, minimum three. That could be two follow-ups and the first sell sheet you send, reaching out to a new company. It doesn't matter what it is, any variation of the process, a minimum of three every single day. If not, you can expect to, uh, it will die on the vine. So that's, that's kind of my thing. I think that's very, very important. Nice. How did you stay motivated when you were working on your products, Ryan? Um, I mean, I, like a lot of these people, like I have a full-time job. And so the design, the part that I love, the design and the creating, I mean, that's nights and weekends, be real honest. And I was doing it heavy. I mean, at a time, full-time job and little babies. So it was, it was rough. I'm not going to lie. It was hard, but I had to do it like that. So um, I worked nights and weekends. I gave up a lot of the things and that maybe would have liked to do to do that. And that's life. Um, I will say what is harder is some of those questions like, yeah, you're right. When you get into the game of when you're really contacting and getting on calls with other companies, that's probably going to be during work hours. And so you're going to have to get a little crafty if you've got a full-time job and, and just, you know, if that means taking a break and going out to your car or going to another space or like, I mean, we're creative people. You got to find a creative way to, to make those emails, make those calls, um, and get it done if it's a priority if it's something you want to do you'll do it and it there is a difference for me the design phase and design development versus pitching and what martin said is like getting really disciplined and skilled at that um is the other side of the game but um in its life man you gotta you gotta do it mm -hmm. brad did you did you ever i'm sure you've taken a break i'll ask the second part of the question i'm sure you've taken a break before and did you have a hard time getting back on the horse if you did i took a break um yeah because i ended up moving so i moved changed jobs helped my wife with her business and so i really didn't have a lot of time but i didn't like it because i still came up with ideas just didn't really have the bandwidth to move forward with them and i just said to myself i'm gonna get myself to a point where I can do this a lot more. And I did, it took a little bit of time, but I did that. And I'm so glad I like made that mental commitment to do it because my life, you know, has it's changed uh, since I did that. So yes, um, I have to-do lists. I think they're crucial. And even if you don't wanna do them, like I do the feared things first. I think Steven maybe talked about it in the steps, but I, I knock out the stuff that I don't wanna do just to get them out of the way. And then I can focus on the things I really want to do. But I don't take breaks right now. I, I tried taking one over Thanksgiving, but I ended up working on a PPA and I was going to work on a trademark. I didn't get around to that, but you know, I still, still ate a lot of good food and spent time with family. But um, I thought 
I, I gotta I, this is my time i gotta get this ppa wrapped up so i'm gonna i'm gonna go any little even a little deeper on this question so you guys are, all have had success with your products so obviously you had something inside you there's something going on in your brain that kept you going so maybe you're not i think most people aren't even conscious of it right so but so think about it for a sec what did you tell yourself did you beat yourself up for not doing something do you encourage yourself did you visualize your product on the store shelf <laughs> what and i think maybe you're not even conscious of it you might not be able to say what it is maybe you've just always been driven people but but what what are some tricks people can use to keep themselves going and to keep motivated and to keep disciplined and to do the freaking work anybody I got, I got one. Oh, Dana, you want to go in here? Dana? Uh, well, yeah, I started laughing because you said visualize your product on the store shelves. I actually be way before I licensed my shower caddy, I put my shower caddy in like a plastic package. I kind of mocked up a, a label, you know, whatever. I got like a little plastic hook. I put my shower caddy in the packaging. I went up to Bed Bath & Beyond. Like I owned the place. I walked in there. I walked to the shower caddy section. I took a bunch of shower caddies off the rack, set them down very nicely and put my shower caddy right on the rack, right in the middle of all the shower caddies. And I took a picture of it. The, the woman who worked there came up and said, can I help you? And I said, no, I'm fine. And just kept on going about my business. And I had that on every picture i had it on my computer you know screen i had it on my phone i had it like so i constantly looked at it um and then the only other mental thing that i did is that i knew that the only thing that was stopping me was fear that's the only thing that was stopping me from moving mm -hmm. forward and i had these visions of me sitting on my rock and in my rocking chair when i was 100 years old on my front porch saying why didn't I do that? <laughs> you know, why why didn't I reach out to that next company? What was I so scared of? And and that's what kept me going because those visions of having these ideas and not doing anything with them or having mm -hmm. this one idea and not doing anything because the only thing that was stopping me was me. Nothing else. I could have come up with a million and one excuses. That's all they were were excuses because there's no reason why I couldn't do this. I want to I want to jump on that real quick because uh, I mean I think Dana just hit it out of the park and pretty much was more detailed to what I was going to say uh, to the two points I cannot tell you the power of positive visualization mm -hmm. it is extreme extreme you do it you watch it you see it your subconscious makes it happen and in the future you will end up having a licensed product it works okay so for everyone listening it works thank you Dana and to go to the other point that she was making what i was going to say initially is something very simple fear is temporary regret will last you your uh, lifetime period end of story so every person who's listening every time you don't want to do it every time you don't you want to stop or whatever it is just like dana says we're all humans we all have excuses and that's what they are it's an excuse why you didn't do something or you know dropping the word try from your vocabulary because if i try i'm opening up the dimension to be able to give myself an out for when it doesn't happen so you don't try you do or you do not do and just remember that and take that to heart and believe it and when you do that just remember these things i mean you know life is short so you know that's 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 what i would say about that but yeah totally wow that was that was really great guys that's great um 
Okay, last question, and then we're going to jump on some questions from the audience. So if you guys have questions, start typing them in. Um, try to keep them short. Don't write a whole book there. But um, uh, so last one was what was what was and is currently the hardest part of the licensing process for you? So maybe what was and what is still the hardest part? Because it's not like it's all a piece of cake for you now because you know what to do, right? Um, Ryan, what what's the hardest part for you of the process? I mean, the hardest part is the amount of time. I, I think in reaching and connecting with these people, it, the time it takes for them or the time it takes gets back and then... I don't know if I do this right, but sometimes I have a strategy of, okay, this is, I really want this brand. This is number two, three, four, five. And so I'm waiting for a no from one before I go to two. To five. And so like the hardest part is just how long it might take some of these people to respond or get back to you or connect or make a decision. Um, but again, it's back to everything, Martin and Dennis, you just got to keep your head in the game and keep going and, um, and be patient. Be patient, but uh, persistent. Thank you. Uh, Brad, what's the hardest part of the process for you? Well, I think it kind of ties into the uh, visualization because I'll get companies interested and I'm immediately visualizing my products, you know, next to theirs on the shelf and the big royalty checks coming in. And, you know, these, some of these companies are big. And so when, when that deal doesn't come through, that's hard because I've already built it up in my mind that this was happening at the done deal. So, so that, that can be tough. So you have to kind of rebound off that. The initial no's I'm emotionally numb to them. Like that yeah. they mean nothing to me, but it's the ones when you're on that emotional roller coaster and you're on that, that big hill with that big company. And all of a sudden it, they just decide not to move forward. That that's a tough one, but it doesn't stop me. You know, you gotta keep going. Oh, and, and I, I get my kids involved too. So oh, that's yeah, I have goals in life, you know, I, as far as where I want to live, type of house, all that stuff. I get them. I, I'll go house driving with my kids. And then they're like, I like that one, daddy. I like that one. I'm just like, wow, they got good taste. Like my son, <laughs> I mean, he's all detailed. He's like, I, I want a white house, two story, double balcony. I want palm trees with bird nests in them. I'm like, all right we're doing it. So like it, it makes, it pushes me. Like I'm, I'm not going to sit on my butt, you know, and not do anything that day. Cause, cause I want to, I want to invest in their dreams and goals too. Cool. You guys are amazing. You're giving incredible advice. Let's jump to some questions from the audience. Um, Jennifer, who's an event rights student. I don't think you can talk about it. Martin says, can you, can you get an update from Martin's toy and game development since his successful trip to LA? and Ryan's progress, particularly if he's focusing solely on drinkware, exploring other categories. So um, Martin, do you have any updates on what you're up to? I know you you got some, It's they're just not, the stuff isn't out there yet, so you can't talk about it, right? Right, can't talk specifics. What I can say is that, you know, of from what developed from there, there's probably at least five uh, products that are being sampled out um, and prototyped and everything else to see if it'll actually end up working so yeah no things are going great couldn't go any better does that make you nervous not yeah. knowing if it's gonna are you fairly certain they can make it work are you are you you know that they could it'll work but you're worried that they'll won't try hard enough or something sometimes well i have a deep enough hand in what's going on that i'm 
turning some of the levers myself. So um, I'm a little bit more in control in this situation than, uh, you know, a normal licensee, licensor type of relationship. Um, so I'm not, I'm not worried about it, but I love Brad's answer. Cause I think Brad's answer from before would have been the same exact answer. The most frustrating thing is when, when you have this and it's all going good and it looks like it's going to happen and then it all just disintegrates in front of you and you're like, Oh, you know, but it happens. Brad's, Brad's been there. I know. Um, Ryan, uh, how, how many whiskey wedges have been sold? Can you disclose uh, that? Yeah, I think so. About, uh, I don't know, 1.5 million, I think. Holy crap. Part of my awesome. language yeah. yeah that's that's great let's do a virtual clap on that one and i think cigar glass because it came out a little bit later i don't know it's not quite to a million yet maybe seven hundred thousand um but again I, that's not me i i give the credit to the brand like it, it was a product that followed the brand it wasn't the brand's product like the brand grew and, and so as the brand grew it just follows its distribution but to answer that question yeah, I started out in drinkware. That's what the category that I was working around. But what really opened, so I would go, and we've maybe talked about this before, I would go to, with that brand, I'd go to the International Houseware Show in Chicago. Then you meet all of these houseware brands, and you'd get all these ideas, build relationships, build contacts. And then I started pitching, uh, designing a lot of ideas in the housewares category, uh, then that really expanded out into kind of uh, hardware tools I've worked on and then kind of recreational equipment. And then I have you know, kind of a, a lifestyle brand that I started creating called Kill Your Giant. But um, yeah, I, I think once you start that flywheel going on ideas, you'll see um, how you can solve problems in a lot of categories. And it, that might that might be worth a discussion or a question is like, do you focus? Is it better to just focus on one area, like be the toy guy, or be the you know housewares guy? So, I probably I have a problem because I have just too many ideas. So I'm thinking in, in different categories. One might say I might be more successful if I really dialed in on one category, got to know all the brands, got to know the people, and focus there, but um i unfortunately haven't done that maybe i should how many cats so you're in four to three or four different categories right now i mean housewares obviously is big broad so i would say housewares uh hardware mm -hmm. kind of the outdoor rec i call it kind of recreational equipment stuff okay yeah it's just more work right you just you're a hard worker yeah but i see what you're saying if you really focus on one industry can really, really maintain those relationships. I, I, I get a, a theme going here, and I think new inventors, they're so obsessed with their first idea, which is nothing wrong with that, but they're not even thinking about relationships. And you guys have brought that up over and over again, um, that every no you get is an opportunity for relationship. And I think that's one of the, one of the most important things that people need to learn here. Um, so Michelle typed in, how many hours per week did you invest to make each project come to life slash get to the pitch phrase, uh, pitch phase. So um, I don't know. I mean, do you even keep track of how many hours you spent? <laughs> Brad's I, like, I no. I can say that it probably wasn't very much. I mean, it might've been, I mean, some weeks was five hours, some weeks was two hours, some weeks I was obsessed and it was eight hours. I mean, it wasn't like I ever put in a 40 hour week or anything like that. And 
you know, and I'd work an hour here or half an hour there or on weekends, sometimes a little bit longer if I had some time, but it, it really, I, I was shocked actually that it didn't take as much time as I thought it was going to take. And for the most part, a lot of what we can do, and I, uh, um, Benjamin and Stephen wrote that book, use, um, uh, licensing using LinkedIn. And uh, he writes in the book that he, he says, you know, as I'm writing this book, Dana Knowles has just texted me telling me that she got into a, a response from a company at 10 o'clock on a Sunday night. Like I was working on a Sunday night, reaching out to a company and the guy just happened to have his phone in his hand and reached back out to me. And I'm like, Oh, well, so, you know, I don't, not, not a lot. Is there, now, Ryan, you mentioned if you have a full-time job, you got to be creative, but we've been talking about, you know, as far as when you can reach out, but we've talking a lot about lately that anytime on a holiday, on a weekend, whenever, I mean, if you're calling their corporate number, you're probably, they're probably not going to pick up. Um, what has been your experience there as far as outreach goes? Well, I mean, obviously online, you can email or message people anytime that's clear uh as far as like setting up if you're setting up an appointment or a call mm, or a video it. call that's kind of where like oh, i gotta like i might have to step out of my cube if you work in some cube to go do that but um but i'm also honest with people like they i use the fact that i'm an architect to an advantage they love that they're like oh you're a designer oh that's cool mm. and so i I don't hide from the fact that I come from an architecture background because they love the idea that I at least have a design kind of lingo, even though it's different from obviously industrial design. You guys, you guys agree with that? You just be who you are. I mean, that's what we're always telling our students. Like if, if you're a plumber and on your LinkedIn, it says I'm a plumber and a, and a product developer, that's okay. Mm -hmm. It's all right. Yeah, totally. It doesn't hurt you. Hey, I'm I just want to jump in there. I'll jump in and say, I have no degree whatsoever. I'm a high school dropout. I drank and drugged for 20 years. I was homeless in 1997. I have no background at all in any of this. So anybody can do it. And not that I'm saying that, not to, I'm just saying that I know that, you know, Ryan, an architect and Martin has a background in this and Andrew owns the company and Brad, I don't really know what you do, but <laughs> but I, for all those people who don't have that huge education behind them, anybody can do this. And and companies um, in the United States don't really care because I think in the United States we have this culture that anybody can make it. If you dropped out, doesn't matter. That as yeah. long as it's a good idea. I think in Europe they're a little bit more judgy. Like, what's your background? What's your credentials and stuff? It's a little bit of a stereotype. But it's, yeah. there's a little bit of truth to it. So I always tell people, like, they, they just don't care. They just want a good idea. And as long as you have good marketing materials and you're not acting crazy and you're not writing page-long emails, you know, those are the things that are important, not your background. They're not asking you what else you license, like, ever. No, they want care. two things. And don't we hear it over and over and over again? And I know we've all heard it, who, who's reached out. To, they want two things. They want, show us a good idea and be easy to work with. Yep. We yeah. don't care if you went to call. They don't care if you went to college. They don't care if you don't know how to use punctuation. They just don't give us give us a good idea that our customers are going to like and be easy to work with. Right. That's that we can come up with good ideas all the time, but a skill of being easy to work with is something that we have to learn. Mm -hmm. 
because there's the right and the wrong to do. It's like I just this morning and I'll just kind of share this. I got a LinkedIn message from a fellow inventor. I wrote back to him. I didn't know I was going to read a book today. <laughs> and he's like, what? I'm like, like everything he was saying, he could have said in three sentences. And I told him that. And I said, you just, and, and I was really honest with him about this is, you know, this is not the type of email that you should be sending out to people. It's too long. We are not going to, nobody's going to read it. He's like, and he said, I didn't even know. Cause he's trying to tell me everything. You know, mm, I didn't yeah, know I was going to read a book today though. Was, that was a good, little sarcastic. Good advice. This next one is not even a question. It was just a comment, but I want you guys to comment on this. Cause I've seen this problem over, over the decades that we've been running InventRight. Uh, Janice said, I have a patent trying to figure out the manufacturing side and also licensing. So to me, I see a lot of inventors that they're on the fence and you could venture one product and license another. And they're two completely different paths, two completely different paths. So they're, they're half-assing it. They're like, oh, well, I'll get some quotes for manufacturing over here. And it's like, well, you don't really need to do that when you're licensing probably. And, and I'll do this over here. And they're, they're, they're two path, different paths and they're two different sets of skills and checklists on what to do. Do you guys have, have you guys personally made that mistake before? Um, any advice there? I see Ryan shaking his head. Yeah. Any I mean, I went backward. Yeah. Licensing is way easier. I did have an idea that actually a brand said, man, that's your idea. Go, you go make that. You can make that. And and so I did go, go down the route, okay, of manufacturing, and, and you know I spent, but the the cost of what it was going to be was a little like, I don't think I'm going to spend 250 grand to bring this to market. <laughs> I'm going to go back to. You're lucky if you can do 250. That'd be cheap uh, product. Uh, yeah. So uh, it's a good exercise if you just want to spend the time, but at the end of the day, you're going to need some serious capital and you know i've known plenty of people have done it and become really successful but it's an incredible amount of work incredible amount of capital um you know the payoff's bigger in theory but well yes. let me ask you guys this question if if somebody's afraid to reach out to three or four potential licensees should they be starting their own business you need to reach out to thousands of people when you have your own business <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think it's you know, I think it would be foolhardy for anyone to try to venture their product the first round, the first time they're getting into something like this. Do not even try to venture. Look at licensing. Get yourself educated. You will learn um, with the type of commitments like Ryan is talking about that it's going to take. And um, it doesn't mean it can't work. It can work, but it's going to be. If you think licensing's hard, yeah, it, it's a whole other animal. It's a whole other animal. Ah, uh, yeah. I, I, um, I don't. I, I kind of think that there's like one foot in venturing and one foot in licensing with that question. But I also realize that um, a lot of times we talk about fine manufacturers, fine manufacturers to license your product idea. Fine, and what what we're saying is fine, fine brands that manufacture their own products. Right. Not so much the manufacturing plant that's actually manufacturing it. Find companies that manufacture their own brands. And well, so that was I'm, the next question from Lori. Oh, okay. 
How do you, and so maybe you could just keep talking and then everybody else can jump in. How do you find the right brands? When doing my research, I see a lot of Chinese brands. How do you find the brands here in the USA? I mean, she's probably talking about Amazon. Yeah. yeah. A lot of, a lot of stuff out there. On yeah. Amazon. Um, there's a, you know what, there's a, I'm working on a project right now and I'm trying to find a particular, I'm trying to find brands that make this particular, there's some features on this product that I need to find companies. And it's a simple doing massive Google searches with all different keywords. Um, and when I do find that company, um, I will Google that company. And what happens is after I start to look at so many things, my computer starts, the algorithm, they start to pop things up. LinkedIn will do the same thing. If you start looking at co certain companies, you'll start seeing a thing pop up on your, well, it does on my computer. I don't know about anybody else's. I like to think I'm kind of special, but um, it comes up and it starts telling you if, you, if you're looking at this, you might want to look at this. And I'm also all about reading articles and even putting in whatever your product is. If your product is, a, and I'll use mine, a hanging shower caddy, type in top 20 hanging shower caddies, articles on top 20, or, and start reading articles. And, you know, it just starts, all the pieces start coming together because you read about this person, then you Google that person and find out what company they work for. And then it's, it's really like a big maze. And I think that's why yeah. I like it so much because it's such a challenge to like, you know, like the hunt and the kill. <laughs> But but I'm gonna I'm gonna share the the basics, Lori, with you. Um, the big and the mistakes that people make. The mistakes a lot of people make is one, they think they're gonna license to the retailer. Retailers, you know, they do their house brands sometimes, and they're getting more prevalent. But usually, you're licensing to the brand that sells at the retailer. Okay, so once you understand that, oh, I'm I, I go to Target and I got this little stationary product that's gonna sit on my desk, and I see there's ten companies selling little pencil holders or stationary products. Well, what do you know? You know they're in Target. You know they're making products in that category. They're somebody you should reach out to, right? So that's one major disconnect. Um, the other major disconnect is they think they need to only reach out to people making the exact same thing. Well, this I got a garlic press, so I can only reach out to people making garlic presses. No, they can be making other kitchen gadgets. Maybe they're like, uh, garlic presses are kind of generic. Oh, but I like yours. Maybe we'll get into garlic presses now. Um, so, and then the, the last tip that I'll give is only going with the retailers you know. You know, you need to like, I once I, I Google list of major US sporting good retailers and there was a freaking Wikipedia list. There isn't always lists like that. And there was a ton of retailers I didn't know. If I'm not looking at those retailers, I'm not finding the brands selling at those retailers because I'm in Nevada, I'm on the West Coast. Maybe the East Coast has, you know, I've never been in a Piggly Wiggly or it's just so silly. There's a grocery store called Piggly Wiggly to me but I've never lived in that part of the country. You're missing out. You're going with your limited knowledge. That's the other big key thing. I know I'm not on the panel here, but I couldn't help but to give advice there. <laughs> I think that, go ahead, Dina. Go ahead. I was saying don't steal our thunder, come on. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was really good this time. I, I kept quiet almost yeah. the whole time. I just had to give that one tip. It did good there. Um, you guys were, were absolutely amazing. Um, any uh, anything you guys want to say in closing, Brad? And then we're going to do a group shot, so don't take off here. Um, Brad, anything you want to say in closing? Since we're about five minutes past, I buy all my bacon at Piggly Wiggly. Do you? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> take a picture for me at Piggly Wiggly. I want to, on the outside of the the store. I want to see that. You got it. No, just I, I I love I love all the feedback from all the panelists. I, I feel like a lot of good information. So. I, I had a student asking if this is going to be recorded, so I'm glad to hear that it will be. 
So I'll uh, definitely share that out. Yeah, it'll be up on the IGA or the InventRight YouTube channel, and then it'll be up on the IGA website as well. So, uh, Martin, how about you? Anything you want to say in closing? Uh, you know what? I think the best thing I could say is don't give up, stay consistent, and stay persistent. If you do that, um, that is literally 60% of the battle. So, yeah. Cool. Consistent and persistent. Oh, I like that. Uh, Dana, how about you? Um, I just, like I said earlier, um, find somebody who's doing what you want to do and, and, and follow in their footsteps. Good. Good advice. You know? Ryan. I've always hated the, the phrase ideas are a diamond dozen and because everything you see, everything you see around you started with an idea. Like, and so the, your idea like is the beginning of anything. So um, don't discount just because you have an idea and, and, and know that because of license, someone else can execute on it. Yeah, execution is everything. Let someone else execute on it. You execute on the idea and get it to them and let them get it to market. And, and you know, don't give up on yourself. Keep going, keep swinging the bat and stay in the game. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much for coming on. We're going to do a group shot now. So do one of these two things or whatever the hell else you want, if as long as it's appropriate. But give a thumbs up or give a wave. And I got a couple screens to take a screenshot of. So let's do that. Here we go. Screen number one, thumbs up or a wave, big smile. Here we go. I feel like a family photographer or something like that. There, screen two, screen three. And I think when we get to four and five, nobody's on video anymore. So thank you guys. Um, now I got to get back to their screens there. Thank you everyone for joining. There was a lot of people in here tonight. My oh. gosh, it's awesome. Yeah. yeah, I don't, I don't think we don't have a speaker set up for December. Um, we'll let you know. We'll definitely have one for January, maybe one for December. I have a gentleman that I'm looking at. Um, we try to do a lot of different topics. I know lately we've been going back to a lot of licensing stuff. I got a gentleman about manufacturing overseas. So even though we were talking about licensing, because that's our panel of experts today, we want to have topics in all areas. So this gentleman is about manufacturing overseas. I don't know if I'm going to get him as a speaker or not, but that might be our speaker. But uh, we do these every month. And so take care and uh, keep inventing, everybody. See you. Thank you. Yeah. Bye.